Hey everybody, welcome to the Fantasy Players Club. I'm your host, Levi Valentine, at Levi underscore Valentine on Twitter. Joining me is my co-host, Brent Hut-Hut-Hikus. Follow him on Twitter at Brent Hikus, H-E-I-K-E-S. Brent, we have real legitimate football news in June. We do. Can you believe it? It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it'll only be accelerating as we get closer to sports coming back. We've got... Plans for the NBA and NHL and baseball potentially getting things PGA. ironed out. PGA, PGA starts on Thursday. That's exciting. Yeah. UFC is back. Mm-hmm. We are making progress. So <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun to see, have real news to talk about as things start to uh, come together over the next couple months. Yeah. So let's dive right into headlines. Like I mentioned, we have big news. Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook will not participate in any team-related activities until he receives a, quote, reasonable deal. And this is according to Adam Schefter on Twitter. He's out, a source told Adam Schefter. Without a reasonable extension, he will not be showing up to camp or beyond. Brent, how does this impact him both this season and his dynasty value going forward? I think it'll definitely impact him. Right now, he's probably getting drafted in the late first round, early second round in um, redrafts and Debbie drafts. So uh, I think that'll definitely drop his value. It brings Alexander Madison's value up. I mean, his, his, his ADP will probably skyrocket in the next couple months, as long as Cook says that he's going to hold out. Um, but if you're looking at it in, in the big picture, I don't know if Delvin Cook is going to get the, his reasonable extension that he's looking for. Uh, Melvin Gordon didn't get it. Le'Veon Bell really didn't get that. So I don't. I can't say whether or not Delvin Cook is making the right choice right now. But I mean, the the Vikings. I mean, if they got to move on, they have Alexander Madison. And I think they're, I think they're willing to part ways with Dalvin Cook. What are your thoughts? Do you hear that noise? That is Melvin Gordon saying, "No, don't <laughs> do it." <laughs> Alec, or Dalvin Cook has absolutely no leverage here, so it's hard to tell at this point whether he's just bluffing or whether he really is intent on sitting out, but. They have Alexander Madison, as you mentioned, who demonstrated last year that he's more than capable of being a serviceable NFL running back, maybe not on Dalvin Cook's level, but good enough to be a replacement either for the short term or the long term. And so with him there and then with the way the league is moving on viewing these running backs and how they should be compensated and their value long term, especially as they get ready for that second contract, there aren't going to be a lot of other teams lining up to pay Dalvin Cook that type of money that he's looking for. I saw a tweet earlier from Spotrack, uh, the list of running backs set to become free agents, unrestricted free agents after this year is impressive. It includes Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, 
Leonard Fournette, Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley, Chris Carson, Aaron Jones, Marlon Mack, James Conner, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, Matt Breida, James White, Kareem Hunt, and Damian Williams. So in addition to having Madison, the Vikings potentially have all of those running backs, or at least some of those if they aren't subject to the franchise tag that they could sign, or they could draft another running back next year, whether it be a Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. So there are a lot of options out there for the Vikings that they really don't have to step up and say, oh, okay, Dalvin, we really need you. We're going to go ahead and give you this deal you're looking for. I don't know whether he'll sit out at all, if he'll sit out part of the year like Melvin Gordon did, or if he'll sit out the whole year like Le'Veon Bell did. But I would not be real excited about his prospects in a redraft league, certainly. With his injury concerns, that's another factor. He has long injury history. That doesn't help his negotiating position at all. So really, when you look at short-term solution the Vikings have with Madison, a long-term solution they have with Madison, a free agent, or the draft, and then you look at his injury history, I don't see where he thinks he has any leverage here to get a deal done. I I completely agree with you there. Um, I think Madison's more than capable of being the guy for the Vikings in that in that backfield. The only thing that we, they would be missing is now that Madison would move up to the starting role, they would need a backup. I don't think Amir Abdullah is ready for that. I don't think he's good enough. Mike Boone, that, that's a possibility, but – I would still think they might look elsewhere, um, like a free agent this year, someone like a, um, maybe a Freeman if if Cooks is really, really going to take this serious and sit out. Yeah, they have um, options but, there too. Yeah, they do. Um, but like you said, um, he has no leverage here, um, as we've seen in the past. Um, but you did say that Cook is on another level as Madison. Um, but if you look at the stats – they both average 4.6 yards per carry. Um, Alexander Madison has one fumble every 100 attempts, and Delvin Cook has one fumble every 65 attempts. And Delvin Cook has been in this league for three years now, and he has only played 29 games. Um, like you said, his injury history, I mean, why would the Vikings want to pay Delvin Cook a lot of money when next year – I mean, it's it's proven where you can get running backs in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, even undrafted. Look at Philip Lindsay. He was undrafted a few years ago. Um, Chris Carson, Boston Scott were seventh rounders. Aaron Jones was a fifth rounder. Jordan Howard was a fifth rounder. Um, and those guys are on their rookie contracts. Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, they were all second rounders. Joe Mixon was a second rounder. Um and Kareem Hunt, Devin Singletary, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Kenyon Drake, a lot of those guys that you just mentioned that are going to be free agents next year, they were third rounders. Alexander Madison was a third rounder. So I think the way with the NFL, with the way the NFL is going these days, it's good to get running backs on that rookie contract. And a lot of those guys that you mentioned won't be getting the money that they're, that they're hoping for next year. So I feel bad for these running backs. I really do, I do. because yeah. they the wear and tear on their bodies at the end of their short five, six, seven year career, if they're lucky, is tremendous and impacts them for the rest of their life. And they deserve to be compensated for that. But the way the league is correctly valuing these players, it's just not going to happen to the degree that they would like it to. You're better off from a team construction standpoint, investing that money in your offensive line 
investing that money in a quarterback, investing that money in receivers. It's more efficient to pass the ball in the modern day NFL, today's NFL, than it is to run the ball. So I'm sorry, Dalvin Cook. I wish that they would pay you what you think you deserve and maybe what you do deserve if we're adjusting, if we were adjusting for price per hit or price per ache and pain for the rest of your life. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I agree. I agree. So I have a question for you off of this. Um, Delvin Cook, just say you it's a redraft. He's sitting there in the third round. Are you going to take him? At this point, I would probably take a chance because if he does come back, which I think there's a high likelihood based on all the factors we talked about uh, and how he doesn't have a lot of leverage, and I think sooner or later he'll realize that. So I think there is a good chance, especially after seeing what happened to Melvin Gordon and what happened to Le'Veon Bell, that he says, okay, I'm going to play this year. I'm going to get to free agency and take my chances there. And so if, he, if you're able to grab him in the third round, that's a potential league winner if he can stay healthy this year and produce in that offense. And it is a contract year. They obviously don't plan to resign him. So why wouldn't they give him every carry, every reception that they can? It, I agree. From a fantasy yeah. standpoint, it would be fantastic. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely worth worth the risk in the third round, maybe even late second round. I mean, what if they trade him to like somebody like the – Houston Texans or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that could that could win you that could win you the league if if he stays healthy he's got to stay healthy throughout that but that's definitely worth worth the risk yeah and if he stays there that team's gonna have good offense I mean Mm -hmm. they want to run the ball we saw that last year Stephon Diggs was not happy with his target (laughs) numbers but that was that's just what they want to do there and our second headline uh we had an article from Jason Durenzo, hopefully I pronounced that right, Jason, uh, at All Purpose Scout on Twitter. He wrote this for the Debbie Watch, uh, and the question that he tackled in this article was, does drafting Debbie tight ends hurt your chances of winning your fantasy league? So, Brent, what did you think about this question? Um, I think it's a good question. It's a question worth visiting. Um, I do think it hurts it a little bit. Obviously, taking a Debbie tight end way at the end of the draft, um, it's it's okay. I mean, a, a pick like that won't ruin your year. But if you, it's just it's just it's a toss up with the tight ends lately in in the NFL. Um, you might get a tight end that's really high on NFL teams. Um, but just say right now. Um, Kyle Pitts is really high on on all these Debbie rankings. He might not even get drafted next year or whenever he's eligible for the draft. So you just wasted a pick and you wasted him on your roster for a full year. And the way tight ends are in NFL anyway, you have to wait a few years before they break out anyway. So and we see all these tight ends and they always say that you should, uh, you should expect, um, tight ends to start picking up the playbook and the pass blocking and, and everything that they need to become a, become a successful tight end after two or three years. So basically if you get a Debbie tight end and he's on your roster for one or two years in college, and then you have to wait another one or two years after he gets drafted. So that's, that could be four years. You're just wasting your roster spot with a tight end that you don't know 
that's going to help your team or not. So I would, I mean, I don't have a tight end on my Debbie team right now that, that I know of. Um, I did last year. His name was, was Grant Calcaterra, Oklahoma tight end. He retired. So he, he, <laughs> he, was, he was one of the best Debbie tight ends last year at this time. Really highly, highly doubted. Um, and he I heard he was on your team, Brent, and he said, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but he's, he's done for. He, he retired. And, I mean, this year I'm like, forget about it. I mean, because <laughs> the tight ends that came in the draft this year, they were not – they were really highly rated last year in, in Debbie. So I'm just staying away from that. So that guy has a good point. What's his name? Jason, he has a great point. Um, so I'm honestly going to probably stay away from – Debbie tight ends for unless I see a real stud out there I, I don't see one so yeah I'm, I'm staying away what are your thoughts so for those of you who may not play Debbie typically how it works is you have a limited number of spots where you can use on your roster for college players and so in the, I believe Brent and I are in it's <clears throat> up to 10 players that you can have uh, from college teams on your roster and so those spots are valuable if you can get a real difference maker especially if you have a couple you have a potential there to have several of what would be first round picks in a traditional rookie draft come from your Debbie squad to your roster in one year and that can turn a franchise around for a team around uh, overnight and so to the point Brent was making I went through this I thought about this a lot this past season, this past off season as I went prepared my strategy for our Debbie draft that we had earlier this summer. And the conclusion I came to is it's not worth it. I had acquired Albert Okwebunam. Okwebunam. That was one of those pronunciations we should look Albert at before o. we started, Brent. Yeah. Albert O. <laughs> uh, and I acquired him in a trade uh, two years ago. And so I kept him on my roster last year, and then this year he was drafted by the Broncos in the fourth round. I thought at the time of the trade, you know, he had had a great year at Missouri. He had broken out at age 19, 91st percentile for tight ends. He had a college dominator rating in the 90th percentile for tight ends. And then we have the combine, right? He runs a 4.4940 at 258 pounds. Unbelievable. 99th percentile, 40 time and speed score. I'm like, okay, he's got the production. He's got the athleticism. NFL teams are going to love this, right? He's probably going to go in the top two or three rounds at worst. He goes to the Broncos with the 12th pick in the fourth round. Not great draft capital. He's sitting behind Noah Fant, at least for the short term, if not the long term. And I'm like, what did I get out of holding him on my roster for two years? I mean, it could be a worse. He could have went undrafted or retired like Greg Calcaterra. <laughs> uh, but it's not the outcome that I was hoping for. And then you have the other point Brett made where these players can take a couple of years before they're actually productive. So like last year you had Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson in the first round. And when you look at their production last year, Fant was tight end 16. Hawkinson was tight end 31 in PPR scoring. Neither one of them were usable. We're optimistic maybe they'll be starter level at tight end this year, but who knows? It could be next year. It could be never. So there's an additional two to three years in the NFL potentially. When you look at – I went back and looked at first-round tight ends. That's what we hope, right? We take a Debbie player on 
use our roster spot, one of those 10 spots on him, we hope he gets drafted in the first round. That's the ideal dream outcome. Mm-hmm. And maybe you had him on your roster for one year, maybe you had him for two or three, hopefully one. That's the ideal situation. But So I went back and looked at the first round tight end. So we had Fenton Hawkins last year. The year before, we had Hayden Hurst, who was the only first round tight end. Drafted into Baltimore. They've been thrown to the tight end a ton since they drafted Hayden Hurst, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews all in that same draft. Hayden Hurst hasn't been great. He was tight end 34 last year. You look at the year before, we had O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, and David Njoku all in the first round that year. So these are the guys going into their third year, first round draft capital, great athletic profiles, particularly O.J. Howard. Well, all three of them really, Howard, Ingram, and Njoku. (laughs) None of them have had – like, Ingram's had flashes where he's been really productive when he's been on the field, but he hasn't been on the field that much. And Joku, tight end 85 last year, 85. O.J. Howard, tight end 29 last year, and now he's got Gronk in front of him, so I don't see that getting any better this year. Ingram, if he can stay healthy, maybe he's tight end one this year, but who knows? And these are guys in their third year now. So if you have them on your Debbie squad, you're waiting four years before you get any production at best. There were no first-round tight ends in 2015 or 16. And in 2014, it was just Eric Ebron. So the history on first-round tight ends isn't great. And that's what you're hoping for when you put these guys. If, because you're only taking the cream of the crop if you're taking a Debbie tight end. And then you look at some of the guys who came out of nowhere. Brett, last year we had Hawkinson, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, who were all relatively productive. I mentioned Hawkinson wasn't great last year, but he was a rookie. Hopefully it gets better this year. But if you were a Debbie player, you weren't drafting TJ Hawkinson before his senior year in college when he relegated Noah Fant to second fiddle. So he was probably available in your rookie draft the next year, or if you have combined every rookie draft, you could go him there. You didn't have to use a Debbie spot on him. Same thing with Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, and George Kittle. Waller was a sixth-round draft pick at Georgia Tech, spent, what, five years in the league before he had his breakout year last year, battled a variety of substance abuse issues, but God bless him, he was able to overcome all that and seems to have his life back on track, and that's fantastic. But you weren't having him on your Debbie squad, and you probably didn't even have him on anybody's roster prior to your rookie draft last year. So he was out there to get. Uh, you had Mark Andrews, third-round draft pick out of Oklahoma, but he got drafted by the Ravens the same year that they took Aiden Hurst in the first round. So I was able to get Mark Andrews in the third round of our rookie draft that year. And I think that's probably pretty typical for where he was going because you're like, okay, well they took a first round tight end. He's behind that guy. And then tight ends take forever to produce anyway. So he was available most likely. And then you had George Kittle who was taken in the fifth round out of Iowa and turned out to be a stud. So that was a there, pretty good pick. Yeah, there are tons of opportunities, even if you don't waste the Debbie spot on a tight end, to go ahead and add these guys to your roster and have potentially one of the top tight ends. So, Brent, do you want to talk about how it can take these guys a while to develop and like those last year's top five in PPR? Let's run through those real quick. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took Kelsey, what, a couple years, at least two years to be where he's at today. Kittle took him a few years. It's crazy how Darren Waller took him five years, and now he's one of the – he's up – in my opinion, he's probably up there with um, Kittle and Kelsey. Um, Zach Ertz, um, it took him at least a year or two, and Mark Andrews. That's one exception. I I guess – his his rookie year, 
he was wasn't good. great. Not but he great. was good. He was good, not great. It was the second year is where he really, really yeah. broke out. Yeah, which was so, last year. But I mean I mean, like you said, nobody had them on the Debbie radar. I was um thinking about last year's Debbie rankings if I were to see it this year. So June two thousand nineteen. I bet players like Hunter Bryant from Washington, um, Grant Calcaterra, um, Alberto, yep. Noah Fant. So we'll look at those four guys. Those four guys are probably in everybody's top five debut tight end list last year. Hunter Bryant, he went undrafted. Undrafted free agent to the Lions. So the Lions might have something there, but, I mean, probably not. Um, Grant Calcaterra retired. We mentioned that. Noah Fant actually lost his job. Wait, Noah Fant was was two years ago. My bad. But I'll use him as an example, too. Noah Fant, he was one of the highest-rated Debbie tight ends. He actually lost his job um, his his last year at Iowa to TJ Hawkinson. Um, Fortunately, they both still got drafted in the first round, so it worked out pretty good for both of them. But we're still waiting on them to to break out. And like like you mentioned already, Alberto – he went from one of the top Debbies last year to, you said, fifth round? Uh, fourth. Fourth round? Yeah, it's – like I said before, I think I'd, I'd stay away from yeah. Debbie tight ends. And if you're looking to get a tight end, maybe you can get these guys that we're waiting for um, to break out. Maybe you can get O.J. Howard for cheap. Maybe you can yeah. get Evan Ingram for cheap. Maybe you can get Njoku for cheap. Hayden Hurst, he's on a new team right now. Maybe you can get him for cheap. Yeah. Maybe if Dallas you... Goddard, Johnu Smith. Like yeah. Johnu Smith played for what Florida International or Florida Atlantic, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Dallas Goddard was at South Dakota State. Nobody was and had him yeah. on their Debbie roster. You yeah. went through the top five from last year, Kelsey Kittle, Waller, Ertz, Andrews. The only two you maybe had on your roster were Ertz, who played for Stanford and was drafted in the second round, or Andrews, who was at Oklahoma but didn't get drafted into an ideal situation. You probably weren't happy about that when you did get drafted. Kelsey was a third-round pick out of Cincinnati. You probably didn't have him on your Debbie roster. Kittle, fifth-round pick out of Iowa, and Waller, a sixth-round pick out of Georgia Tech. There's no way you had them on your roster. So there's tons of opportunity, and there's always these guys that pop up. Like Cole Komet probably wasn't on very many Debbie rosters last year. First-round, first pick – first tight end picked in this draft this year and you had Devin CSC who was taken by the Patriots I don't Dalton remember Keen. anybody talking about him Dalton Keen yeah. so it's, it's the crazy. answer to it's... your question Jason is yes it probably does hurt your chances of winning your fantasy draft or your fantasy league we think there are three surefire tight ends out there in Debbie right now with Pat Fryermuth at Penn State with um Kyle Pitts at Florida and with Brevin Jordan at Miami, but who knows the history based on what we've seen from these past first round picks since 2014 is not kind. And I didn't go back any further than that, but I imagine it's probably not a lot better. So use your limited Debbie spots and your valuable draft capital in a different way. And I think you'll be pleased with the results. Unless you want to go Iowa tight end. They, <laughs> they seem to have these tight ends coming out of there all the time. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the current one, but, um, but Iowa, I, I got to give it to them. Even though I'm not a big fan of Iowa, got to give it to them. They do, they do put out some pretty good tight ends. 
I think you're the only one to say a nice thing about Iowa this week <laughs> after everything that's going on true. there right now. So Very true. <laughs> we'll see if that continues going forward. It's certainly an interesting time for that program. All right, with that wrapped up, we're going to move on to our rookie mock draft. As a reminder, we are on the second round tonight. I will give Brent the first pick again since uh, he's still old and ugly and I'm still young and beautiful. (laughs) Uh, To recap the first round real quickly, uh, Brent had the first pick there too. He took Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Jonathan Taylor was the second pick. J.K. Dobbins went off the board at three. DeAndre Swift at four and Cam Akers at five. Following the five rookie running backs, we had five rookie wide receivers go off the board consecutively. So it was C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, and Jerry Judy, followed by Jalen Rager as the fifth one there. Brent took Joe Burrow at pick 11, first quarterback off the board, and then I wrapped up the first round with Keyshawn Vaughn. So Brent, who is going to be pick 13, first pick of the second round? With 13th pick, I'm picking Michael Pittman. Wide receiver, Indianapolis Colts. I think they want him, um, maybe not for this year, but for 2021, they, they want him to be the guy. T.Y. Hilton is a free agent um, after this year. Um, and if you've noticed over the past, gosh, Phil, this is probably Philip Rivers, probably like 17th year, 16th around there. Um right. He has, does he have more years in the NFL or kids? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's probably getting probably even. <laughs> um, but he does like the tall, big-bodied, fast receivers, and that's what that's what Michael Pittman is. He's six four. Um, if if you remember, Vincent Jackson was one of his favorite receivers back in the day. Keenan Allen's a big guy. Malcolm Floyd, Mike Williams. Uh, Mike, they drafted Mike Williams. Those are all big-bodied guys. Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates. Those are all big bodied guys and and Tyrell Tyrell Williams too. That's another one. Um I thought he just so, sort of the running backs at this stage in his career though. <laughs> yeah. I Based mean, on Austin Eckler's year last year. Yeah, he did have a great year. Um but with Pittman, I, I bet Phillip Rivers had a lot was talking with them, um saying to go after him. So I I see a lot of Phillip Rivers in that pick and I, I expect a good year. He'll, I, I think he will definitely beat out um, Paris Campbell. Um, T.Y. Hilton might beat him in fantasy points this year if he stays healthy. But I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Pittman's the number one wide receiver at Indianapolis this year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, T.Y. Hilton has a hard time staying on the field, and Paris Campbell mm-hmm. wasn't able to get on the field all last year. So there's certainly opportunity there for him. I'm not – I mean, Philip Rivers should be able to get in the ball. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like if Philip Rivers is still comfortable going down the field and has the arm strength to do it successfully or not at this stage in his career. I guess we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, Pittman's profile is impressive. He had second pick in the second round of the NFL draft, so that speaks well to as far as draft capital. 6'4", 223, I mean, prototypical size to be out there. Uh, at receiver, the big body, like you mentioned, his best comparable and player profiler is Dwayne Bowe. So Dwayne Bowe's career didn't go exactly how you hope Pittman's might, but that's not a bad comp to have. 
Yeah. Had a really good dominator rating in college. Didn't break out super early, but he was productive at USC. So, yeah, I think that's a good pick at this point in the draft. And I think Pittman has a chance to be a really good player for a long time. Good. I will go with Denzel Mims. So, similar prototypical size speed combination here. I think he's probably a little better athlete than Pittman, but he did go a little later in the draft with the 27th pick in the second round out of Baylor going to the New York Jets. Nice target for Sam Darnold there on the outside, 6'3", 207. Ran a 4.3840 at the combine at that size, which is very impressive. Athleticism across the board is just fantastic. Incredible producer in college. Dominated the receptions and yards and touchdowns out of the Baylor backfield net offense with Matt Rule last year. 42% college dominator rating, 85th percentile. Broke out at age 19, 67th percentile. So he's got the production. He's got the athleticism. He's got the size. I think there's a lot to like here with Mims. Uh, best comparable on player profile is Chris Godwin. So we saw what he did last year. If he can, if Mims can come close to that anytime soon, he'll be really happy. I think he has a huge opportunity that he steps into in New York, a great situation with what we think is a decent young quarterback in Sam Darnold. He hasn't been great thus far, but he's not willing to, or he's not afraid to throw it into tight windows, even if that does result in a higher number of interceptions than we would ideally like to see. That doesn't affect Mims' fantasy potential there. The receiver depth chart is not great. They have Jamison Crowder probably working out of the slot the whole season. Rashad Perriman, who came on a little bit last year in the absence of Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin in that Tampa offense, but we'll see if he can do that again. It took him a long time to finally produce in the NFL. And then you have Denzel Mims sliding in there in the depth chart, Vincent Smith and Braxton Barrios. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for Mims to develop into Darnold's go-to receiver, get a ton of volume, and put up a lot of fantasy points. Yeah, it's not a bad pick. Um, He is a little bit um, lower in my list, but, I mean, who else do the Jets have besides Crowder in the slot? Crowder um, will take a lot of the targets. Um, I think if Herndon, Chris Herndon, their tight end, can stay on the field, I think he'll take a lot of the targets too, but next in line is is Mims, and Mims could get similar targets to those two guys too. So, I mean, it's it's not a not a bad pick. Um, he is just a little bit lower on my on my list, mainly because he does play for the New York Football Jets. So, I mean, not bad. Can't give you too much crap about it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm, I'm just a little bit shocked that you picked him over. Um, a few other receivers that are out there. Is that one we'll of those receivers going to be your next pick? Um, no, <laughs> actually no. So next pick, this will be pick number 15, right? Uh, that's correct. Um, Antonio Gibson, running back wow. slash receiver for the Washington Redskins. I I know the Redskins have a lot of running backs. They have Adrian Peterson, Darius guys. I love how you lift Peterson first as if he's going to be still the number one back on that backfield. What is he now? 34 or five? I think it's 35. Oh my gosh. Nothing would, it wouldn't shock me to see Adrian Peterson be, get the most carries out of that backfield. Um, 
so Peterson, Geis, and um, Love, Bryce, Bryce Love. Bryce Love. Um, I don't think Antonio Gibson really has to compete with those guys because they already have a plan for Antonio Gibson. He's going to have his own special role. He's going to play a little slot. He'll line up at running back. He'll he'll be in the game when Adrian Peterson's out there or when Geis is out there. Um, Geis and Bryce Love, they have an injury history. Um, who knows um, how long they'll still stay healthy. And like I said, Adrian Peterson might be the guy again, which is crazy. We're still talking about Adrian Peterson in 2020, but it's, it's where we're at. Um, but I'd say Gibson um, will get a lot of catches, especially if we're talking PPR. We, I mean, which we are. This is, this is a this standard is, league, single quarterback PPR. Just to remind so, mm-hmm. And I would, if it, if it wasn't PPR, I would drop him down a few more spots, maybe late second round. But, so you think he's going to work out of the slot? As a, Steven Simmons was primarily their slot receiver and seemed to have a pretty good yeah. end to the year last year. I, they're going to they're gonna get him out on the field. I mean, it, you heard I, who I, Ron Rivera compared him to, didn't you? Oh yes, I did, but I forgot who who was it. The running back from his old team. Oh, who McCaffrey. had a decent year last year. Yeah, yeah, McCaffrey. So yeah, you're getting Christian a, McCaffrey at pick two hundred two, Brent. Not a bad comparison. <laughs> but. And he also compared Terry McLaurin to DJ Moore, so I think he's just saying, "Hey, this is the best <laughs> receiver on this team." Well, he's pretty, kind of reminds me of the best receiver on my last team. Yeah. Maybe that means you've used <laughs> your boy here, Antonio Gibson, as the best running back in this back. <laughs> Who knows? So, any other thoughts on Gibson that you have? I like him. I'm not – I mean, he has the size you're looking for, six foot, 228 pounds. Went off the board at the second pick in the third round, which is really good for a running back. Uh, played at Memphis in college. So, it was very productive, obviously, but uh, – they like to score points in the American Athletic Conferences. I haven't watched a ton of those games, but seeing the ones I did were when Scott Frost was at UCF and they played Memphis in the conference championship, and I think the final score was in the 40s for each team or 50s, something like that. Yeah, I was so, going to say it's 50s and 60s, I'd say. Yeah, and that helped Norvell get the job at Florida State, which good for him. But mm-hmm. And Memphis has been putting these running backs into the NFL. I mean, you have – Antonio Gibson this year. Last year he had Darrell Henderson. Uh, and going forward, they have another running back who is uh, a really good Debbie prospect whose name escapes me. Can you help me out there, Brent? Uh, I know who you're talking about. Gain- Gainwell. Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell. There you go. Yeah. So that all speaks well to his potential. Uh, he ran a 4 3 which is incredible. We talked about what Denzel Mims did. He was just as fast at 228 pounds. So – I, there's a lot to like here. His best palpable on player profiler is Joe Mixon. Like that a lot. Wow. I mean, I think there's a ton of potential here. The crowded backfield does make me a little nervous. I think you're right in that he will have a role. I'm hoping that guys can stay healthy and maybe be at least the first and second down back and maybe Mims or maybe, excuse me, uh, Antonio Gibson can come in and be that third down back receiving back. I think that's probably a good fit for him skill set wise and maybe if Geis doesn't turn out to be what they hope he will, I think there is an opportunity for Gibson here to become the lead back in Washington. This offense may not be great with Haskins with the controls. We'll see if he can come along this year, but 
uh, I think Gibson has a lot of potential, and I had Gibson a little lower, but I certainly can't fault you, especially if you have a needed running back here to go ahead and take him early in the second round. That's not a bad place to get him. Yeah. Yeah, if if he I Chris Tom Chris Thompson from the last couple of years when he's healthy, he had good fantasy games. I mean just there was games where he had zero rushes and he got like eight catches for 50 yards. That's that's 13 points right there. I mean if you can get 13 points from on average um from a running back, that that's pretty good. You probably won't start him, but he's a good that'd be a good for running back three or four on your team. So yeah. I mean, can't go wrong with getting depth at, at your running back position. Definitely, especially in the second round like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am now on the clock with six, the 16. Yeah, the fourth pick here in the second round. Uh, I have a few receivers still on the board that I like, and there are a couple that rise to the top for me, but I think the one I'm going to go with is T. Higgins. So he was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals with the first pick and the second round coming out of Clemson. Again, another receiver with that prototypical size you're looking for at 6'4", 216, a nice big target on the outside. Very productive in his time at Clemson. Uh, Last year had over 1,000 yards, the year before just under. Uh, So, And what you see there is 25 touchdowns over the past two years at Clemson, so that big target in the red zone when they get down there throw it up and let him go get it. And he was very successful at that with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Broke out incredibly early, 96 percentile breakout of the age at 18.6 years. Uh, And then decent college dominator rating, not great. Didn't run super fast in the 40 at the combine, only a 4.59. So ideally I'd like to see him be a little faster, but I think having Joe Burrow to throw to him for the next, four or five years certainly will bode well for him. I think learning under A.J. Green for at least this year, if not longer, and then sliding into that role when A.J. Green's time is up in Cincinnati, which will likely be sooner rather than later. Uh, He's really set up well, maybe not to be a real strong producer this year, uh, but going forward after that, when they start to ramp up this rebuild that they're on, I think he's in a perfect spot to be very productive. Yeah, good pick. Good pick there. Um, like I said on our last podcast, I like Joe Burrow this year. I like him beyond this year. And T. Higgins might be his stud receiver for the next several years. Great pick there. Um, I was debating between Antonio Gibson and T. Higgins with my previous pick. I, I like so you made T. the wrong choice. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it, it depends on it depends on what you need. But uh, but I mean that that's I mean no no complaints there. Um, I think AJ Green, if he's healthy, he'll still be the guy this year, and I don't know how much longer he can go. But they had Tyler. If he Boyd. can stay on the field, I mean that's been his yeah. struggle for AJ Green for a long time now. Yeah, and I mean he, if Joe Burrow's a good quarterback, I can see AJ Green really playing through injuries to try to help this team. So I I mean in previous years. I mean, the Bengals were, I mean, not good. And if A.J. Green has an injury, he'll he'll just sit it out because they're not good anyway. So yeah. if 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 he's having – if A.J. Green and Joe Burrow are having fun and scoring a lot of points, 
And you've got Tyler um, Boyd there as well. Yeah, yeah, Tyler Boyd. Um, who else? John Ross. John Ross. Auden like Tate. The, who, who's that last one? Auden Tate. Auden Tate, yeah. Did a little something one. last year. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if John Ross takes a step forward and then you have those other three that rotate, hopefully if one of them, if they can all stay healthy or if one of them steps down, there's an opportunity there for all three of those guys. AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins have really productive years with Joe Mixon. Or, excuse me, mm-hmm. Joe Mixon uh, catching passes out of the backfield and with <laughs> Joe Burrow uh, throwing some of the ball around the yard. Yeah. Yeah, I especially like this pick because it is dynasty. And, I mean, he might not have the greatest year this year, but um, he could be the guy for Joe Burrow in, for the next 10 years. Yeah, so. and I think you've got Zach Taylor there who, you know, spent some time with Sean McVay, and that's probably what helped him get hired here. And I think they're getting pretty close now to having that offense where he wants it to be as from a personnel uh, perspective and being able to hopefully look more like the Rams than the god-awful mess they were last year. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brent. Pick number 17. Pick five of the second round. Who's it going to be? I mean, um, this might shock you again, but I do like him. Um, I'm taking a risk here. Chase Claypool, Pittsburgh wide receiver. Um, now, Big Ben has got to be healthy. Because <laughs> if, if Mason Rudolph is the quarterback – I just made myself a bad pick, but <laughs> I am, I'm taking a risk here. Um, Chase Claypool, I think right away he's going to beat out James Washington. Um, it sounds like they're moving Juju to the slot again, and he has, Juju has more success in the slot. Deontay Johnson's in for a big year, as long as Big Ben is healthy. Juju's <laughs> Juju's in for a big year as long as Big Ben is healthy, and Chase Claypool could have a pretty good year. Um, once again, as long as Big Ben is healthy. Now, um, but like I said, if Mason Rudolph is the quarterback, I'm sorry I gave you this advice. Um, <laughs> it's dynasty, but, Brent. You don't have to apologize. But, <laughs> but well, at least this, not for that reason. <laughs> The Steelers, the Steelers really like to throw the ball around, and I don't know how many years Big Ben has left in him. Maybe it's just this year, but I'm I'm sure they're not gonna. They'll be trying to get someone to replace Big Ben after this year if he is gonna retire. They're not gonna roll with Rudolph. Um, and just from what I've seen with watching Big Ben play with James Washington, he's yelling at him rolling his eyes, <laughs> trying to teach him something all the time. Go back and watch the tapes. Between plays, he's either yelling at him, rolling his eyes, or trying to teach him something. And I can tell that Big Ben cannot stand James Washington. Um, I th- was this when he was on the sideline last year, or are you talking about actual games well, they played together? Games that they played, and even when he was on the sideline. It, <laughs> Big Ben had a hot dog in one hand and a <laughs> bag of popcorn in the yeah. other, and he's yelling at James yeah. Washington to <laughs> go get him yeah. a soda to wash it down. Yeah, so so this is, nothing, <laughs> this is nothing against Deontay Johnson or Juju. It's, it's mainly that third receiver, and that third receiver for the Steelers when Big Ben is on a roll and playing has fantasy value, and that's why I like Chase Claypool right here. I think you misspoke, though. You said he was a wide receiver. Uh, he's actually <laughs> going to be a tight end, Brent. I don't know if you know that or not. 6'4", 238. 
I don't know. Like, that's great. I think he'd be a really good tight end. I'm not as optimistic if they do keep him at receiver just because, I don't know, like in college he was okay. Like, had a 1,000 yards last year in that Notre Dame offense, 13 touchdowns, obviously a really good red zone threat. I just – and obviously you have to like what – they've done in Pittsburgh as far as evaluating receivers and developing receivers over the past few years. So that's the one thing I guess with him that gives me a little hope. I just think he would be a really good tight end and I'm not as optimistic about him being a receiver. And so that's kind of why I had him a little lower on my draft board, but I think they're, you can definitely make a case for taking him here. I just don't know if it's what I would do. Uh, I don't know if he's got the agility to be successful as a receiver at that size in the NFL. He certainly has the speed, straight line speed of 4.4240 of that size is impressive. We talked about Albert O and what he was able to do with his 40 time at that size. Trace Claypool is right there with him, if not a hair faster. So I, I think, I don't know. I think he doesn't want to be a tight end, or at least he didn't going into the draft. I don't know what the reasons for that were. Maybe he'll stick a receiver and I'll look like a fool, but I think that that could be where he could really thrive. And and you look at Pittsburgh's depth chart, they have Eric Ebron against McDonald as their top two tight ends. I think he could probably slide in there at tight end one from the start if he, if they ended up making that switch. Well, Maybe. either way, if they play him at tight end, they're not going to ask him to pass block. They're yeah. going to have him go for passes. Sure. So, I mean, they're not going to expect him to be a good pass blocker in year one. That's, I mean, they're going to want him catching the ball. So if he does happen to move to tight end, um, I still like him there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't hate the pick. I just – I wish he would have just come out and said, I'm going to be a tight end and spent the time adjusting to that new position and learning the technique and all of those things instead of doing this wide receiver experiment. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up over the next few years. Did they draft a true tight end, do you know? The top two on their depth chart, as far as I can tell, are Eric E. Brown and Vance McDonald. So nobody of consequence. Zach Gentry is the third string. Uh, this is all according to ESPN, so okay. should be reliable, hopefully. Yeah. So there's an opportunity there. We'll see what he, what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my next pick... I'm going to keep hammering these receivers and just not leave you any, Brent. I'm going to take Brian Edwards. And so you talk about a guy who had a ton of production on a really bad team. His counting stats in college don't look that impressive. If all you're looking at is receiving yards, he peaked at 846 receiving yards as in 2018 at South Carolina. But And then he had 816 last year on – 71 target or 71 receptions on 113 targets. So like just from a raw numbers perspective, I think that's kind of why he gets overlooked from a lot of uh, fantasy players. And he wasn't able to test at the NFL combine because of an injury. So he's really kind of a black box prospect from an athleticism perspective. But when you look at what that those receiving yards and he had six touchdowns each of the past two seasons, that was good enough in that offense for a 48% college dominator rating, 94th percentile. That's how bad that offense was. And he had to overcome all of that to get the production that he was able to muster. And so that is pretty incredible. He's got the, again, you can might be picking up a trend here on my picks. He's got prototypical size, six foot three, 212 pounds. 
picking up the seventeenth pick in the third round by the Raiders. They need someone on the outside with his physical profile. They have Tyrell Williams, who was decent last year, but I think Brian Edwards can probably overtake him in pretty short order and provide something that they don't have with Henry, a different skill set than what they have with Henry Ruggs, a different skill set than what they have with Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller over the middle of the field. I think there's a lot of potential there for Brian Williams to be that outside receiver, fill that role for the Raiders, and really hopefully soak up a lot of targets in that offense. Yeah, that, that's a good pick. I can't, can't complain about it. Um, I do like the situation that he's in, and it, it really looks like the, the Raiders and Gruden are trying to revamp that whole, the whole situation that they had at, at wide receiver. Um, I, I mean, I, I obviously think Ruggs um, will be the guy, um, but Brian Edwards could very well be that number two. Renfro, I can see being in the slot. Um, he's he's just Edwards just has to beat out Tyrell Williams for for his targets, and right now it's a toss up for me, but I think he eventually could do it by the end of the year. Waller will take a lot of the targets at tight end. Um, Josh Jacobs will be getting a lot of touches running the ball. I think Lynn Bowden will get a lot of the um, receptions coming out of the backfield too. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of targets to be shared at Las Vegas, but I do like the situation and you can really tell they're trying to revamp that, that wide receiver position. Yeah. So it's, it's not a bad pick. Yeah. The way I kind of rationalize what you talked about as far as who will be competing for those targets is you probably have Bowden, Renfro and Waller all competing for those short to intermediate middle of the field type targets. You have Henry Rugg stretching the field um, with his speed and then you have Brian Edwards, who's kind of potentially left with everything else. So yeah. intermediate or deep routes um, and maybe some short type stuff on the outside as opposed to being in the middle of the field. That's all there for the taking. So I think there's certainly a role for him to play in that offense if, if he's able to develop. Good. All right. Next pick. Pick, what are we on? 18? 19. 19? Seventh pick of the second round. Uh, I suppose I'll do it. <laughs> you sound excited say, about this pick, Brent. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's a first rounder. Sometimes you just gotta gotta take bite the bullet, and if someone falls to you, you just gotta just gotta take it. Um, honestly, I did this. I wasn't a big fan of Odell Beckham back when I drafted him. What? five, six years ago. He fell, worked out big, all right. he fell big time in our draft, and I was like, oh, all right, I'll take him. He was a first-rounder. I'll, I'll take a chance. So it, it worked out pretty good for me. So in, in this situation, I'll, I'll take Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk. There we go. There um, Arizona State guy. Um, did, did pretty good his senior year. Um, Arizona State has a few few good players that I'm looking for in Debbie next year. The quarterback sounds sounds pretty good. Um, so maybe a good season um, might have been helped out by that quarterback. Daniels, I think it is. Yep, Jaden Daniels. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's in a pretty good situation, I'd say. I, I really like um, Debo Samuel for the, for the Niners. It, I still – see him taking a lot of the targets and touches away 
um, all in the 49ers running backs there. Um, Does it concern you at all for Debo that they took another receiver in the first round? To me, that always sends a message that we aren't entirely comfortable with what we have at receiver at this point when you spend that kind of draft capital on another I don't receiver. Think, I don't think it was anything against Debo. They just need someone else to play with him. I, I still think Debo is going to have a, a much better year than his pretty good rookie year. Um, Ayuk has the opportunity be, to be that number, that number two guy there. Um, I know they like to run the ball, um, and Kittle will still be getting a lot of those touches. But uh, Ayuk could benefit by being the second or third receiver, and maybe he'll be the number one. It's. I mean, they drafted him in the first round, so they're definitely they're definitely looking for a lot of production out of him. So, yeah. What are your he thoughts? Was, he had a really good year last year. It was the first time he'd really been productive. He only had at the D one level. He had four hundred seventy four yards in his junior year, and then last year he was a senior. Had one thousand one hundred ninety two yards, eight touchdowns. Was very dynamic. Six hundred seventy two yards and a touchdown on special teams. So that certainly speaks well to his potential. Uh, 40% dominator rating, 82nd percentile. Had a late breakout because he went to junior college. And so if you count the junior college, he did break out of junior college. And so that would have spoke well from an analytical perspective to his ability a little bit earlier. So I think if you adjust for that and then, you know, making the change to Arizona State where Nikhil Harry was obviously a mega producer there the year before and ended up being selected in the first round by Patriots – you can kind of craft a story about why Brandon Ayuk didn't do as much as we would have liked or didn't really break out until his senior year. But when he did last year, he was had an incredible year. And so clearly that was a huge factor in something that the 49ers looked at when they took him in the first round. He's got good size. It's 205 pounds. I think he has a really good opportunity to step into that offense and kind of be maybe the yin to Debo Samuel's yang on the outside. Their depth chart uh, receiver didn't give you a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings before. They also have Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, and Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd we didn't see a lot out of last year, but he was a, a decent draft pick there as well. So there is a little bit of competition, but I do think he could potentially be right away from day one, the number two uh, receiver in that offense. You do have, like you mentioned, the competition at tight end from George Kittle, who's probably the true number one pass catcher in that offense yeah. and as you mentioned they want to run the ball so maybe not a ton of targets especially in the first year or two but certainly an opportunity there for IU to have, to have a role mm-hmm. all yep. right so that leaves it to me at pick number 20 overall don't number eight pick my guy second round uh, no promises who's your guy I don't know. Pick first. <laughs> <laughs> Is it LaVisca Chanel? No. Ah. Well, your guy sucks, then, obviously. Uh, I am taking LaVisca Chanel. He has a great opportunity, I think, in this Jacksonville offense to be kind of what Debo Samuel is to that San Francisco offense, be very dynamic as both a pass catcher, yards after the catch, taking handoffs and jet sweeps out of the backfield, those little pop passes that they like to do in the NFL these days. I think that we saw at Colorado over the past three years, they were able to get him involved in a variety of ways. I saw it 
way too up close and personal in a couple of those times Nebraska played him. He is 6'1", 227 pounds. He's built like a running back playing receiver, really. And so taking the second pick – or the second round, the 10th pick of the second round, good draft capital. Didn't run as fast as we would have liked up combine with a 4.5840. And then it came out afterwards that he had a groin injury, which I think he ended up having surgery for to get that repaired, but should be good to go for the season. So that doesn't necessarily speak well to, I guess, his agent's judgment and letting him run at the combine. But I think he probably would test faster, and he certainly played a lot faster than what he tested at the combine. Uh, his best comparable and player profiler is A.J. Brown. I like that a lot. Uh, I think there's just a lot to like and a lot of opportunity in this uh, Jaguars offense in the short term, especially they're going to probably be throwing quite a bit because I think that team's going to be pretty bad this year. And so that should present a lot of opportunity for him opposite DJ Chark, who will probably be getting the number one treatment from the opposing uh, defense as far as putting their number one corner on him, uh, which should open up some opportunity for uh, LaVisca Chenault to have some really good games this year, I think. There is a little bit of competition. B.D. Westbrook, Chris Conley, Keelan Cole. None of those guys really scare me too much as far as Chenault's ability to take targets from them and maybe carve out a role in this offense. That's a good pick. Um, if if you were to tell me that LaVisca Chenault would stay healthy the whole year and Minshew was going to have a good year, I'd definitely put him up there with CeeDee Lamb, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and those guys. Um, just watching him at Colorado, he and like you said, he did some special things, especially in those up-close games that we watched when, when they played the Huskers. Um, he kind of did it all for him. He ran the ball. He had some amazing catches, um, strong hands, good route runner. Um, he... Like you said, he plays for the Jaguars. Minshew is – I don't think he's the greatest throwing quarterback. Um, and he does have to compete with DJ Shark, uh, Chark at, at receiver. Um, I'm not worried about – like you said, I'm not worried about Diddy Westbrook and Chris Conley. But I think if he stays healthy, this, this could be a great pick for you. Yeah, I think the health is the biggest concern for him. You're exactly right. It'll be interesting because if you watch a lot of Colorado games, him running that wildcat, that was was pretty successful. And it'd be interesting to see if the Jaguars want to run a little wildcat with him, like down on the goal line. And what shocked me the most with him was was how strong he was. He was like a – he was like a goal line running back that can play wide receiver. So yeah, he's got a very unique and special skill set. Yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch. I'm, I'm. He's one of the few rookies that I'm really looking forward to see how he's going to do. Yep. Yeah, so. I'm really excited to see how he does too. Mm-hmm. All right, you know, take your guy at pick twenty one. Yep, yep. I'm taking Zach Moss, Buffalo Bills. Oh my gosh. You have an obsession with these terrible Buffalo running men. <laughs> All right. Well, um, coming into the draft, <laughs> if, if we were going to be podcasting um, back at the beginning of April or in March, I probably would have told you that Zach Moss was probably one of my favorite running backs coming into the draft. How'd that turn out? Unfor- 
<laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't land into the positions as Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, and Cam Akers did. Um, but, I mean, I'm, it's growing on me. At, at first, I hated it because I own Devin Singletary <laughs> in a lot of my fantasy leagues. And Devin Singletary is one of my favorite running backs coming into the draft last year. You're weirdly so, obsessed with Devin Singletary, too. You took him really high <laughs> in our Superflex draft. Oh, come on. He, he, he'll be all right. <laughs> what was it, like your fourth so, or fifth bit? Something like that. Maybe I'll look it up. You there. keep talking. Okay. Okay. Um, the Bills, the Bills, they want to run the ball. And they have a good offensive line. And they're gonna just going to pound it. And I, I understand that Devin Singletary – uh, might not um, be getting all the carries um, because because of Zach Moss. They don't have anybody else that can back up Singletary. Um, T.J. Alden is not the answer. So I'm a I'm a big fan of Zach Moss, and I'm a big fan of Devin Singletary. Um, they'll be stealing each other's thunder. Devin Singletary might be driving the Bills down the field, get him to the five yard line. Then they'll put Zach Moss in there and he'll score the touchdown. <laughs> so if one of those guys happen to get hurt for a long period of time, definitely, definitely try to have one of those guys in your starting lineup. Um, doesn't matter who it is. Um, either way, I'm a big fan of Singletary, big fan of Zach Moss. Unfortunately, they play on the same team. And I think I'll be owning a lot of Zach Moss shares this year. So. What are your thoughts? I just struggle with liking finding a lot to like with Zach Moss. He was very productive in the Pac-12 last year, over a thousand yards, one thousand four hundred yards, actually six yards per carry and seventeen touchdowns. Decent receiver, twenty-eight catches on three hundred eighty or twenty-eight catches on twenty-nine targets with for three hundred eighty-eight yards. So I guess you can like that. But then you look at his athletic profile and he ran a four point six five forty. Uh, did 19 reps on the bench and he's going into a timeshare at best uh, for the next few years. I mean, at this point in the draft, the running backs are all going to have their issues. So I suppose he's as good to take a shot on as any, but when I look at some of the other players that are still on the board, including a couple other running backs that are probably a couple I'd like a little better. um, I just, He's got good size. He's 220 pounds, so he does have that going for him. Uh, and he was very elusive in college. Uh, so, I mean, maybe it pans out. Maybe he takes Singletary's job. I'm not. I'm really not a huge Singletary guy either. But I think Zach Moss is okay. I probably just wouldn't. I'd probably take a shot on him a little bit later. Is all. Um. I mean, you got to realize that with the way the NFL is going right now you're going to see timeshares all the time. It's not going to be always guys like Ezekiel Elliott is going to be the main guy. Even Elliott might be in a timeshare this year with Tony Pollard. Yeah. So, I mean, you're always going to see the running backs with two or three guys in the backfield and we're going to see more and more of it. So, yeah, I mean, even the Clyde Edwards Lair, well, we're going to see a little bit of Damian Williams, um, Jonathan Taylor. We're going to see a little bit of Hines, and, and Mac, J.K. Dobbins, Ingram, maybe Gus Edwards, maybe uh, Justice Hill. 
DeAndre Swift and Carryon Johnson. You're going to see that everywhere. So, and the Bills. I mean, I know they're the Bills, but look out for the Bills this year. Just saying. <laughs> look out, huh? So, yep. You a Bills Mafia member or what? AFC <laughs> no, champs. No. AFC champs. Um, AFC, AFC champs. Cha- AFC championship. And oh. yeah, probably. Yeah. So well, who are they beating? The are they beating the Chiefs or the Ravens? No, I, I'm not saying they're going to win the AFC. No, I'm but I'm saying to get to the championship, they have to beat either the Chiefs or the Ravens, most likely. Probably. I mean, I think they can beat the Ravens. That'll be interesting. They had a really good year last year. I don't. Uh, you got to love Bills Mafia. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but I, and the other thing that makes me a little nervous on Zach Moss is just he went back for a senior season, so. That always gives me a little bit of pause, especially with running backs where there are – we mentioned the wear and tear as far as Dalvin Cook and how that impacts the length of their careers. Using an additional one of those years on taking college carries instead of professional carries always just gives me a little bit of pause because I don't – I imagine that he probably didn't get the feedback from the NFL scouts that he was looking for as he went through the pre-draft process, and that's probably why he came back for his senior year. He got – he was a – this 22nd pick on the third round, which is honestly higher than I expected him to go. So that speaks well to him, at least how the Bills felt about him. And so maybe they see a role for him in this offense, and I think that's probably what you were going for when you mentioned all the positive things he does have going for him. I just, I'm just, i just not quite there with Zach Moss. Okay. So you said that he probably took a beating on that, on that last year at Utah? Well, I just – you got. He, took, he had 235 carries. What I just meant was, like, it, running backs have a limited number of quality carries in their bodies just based on the wear and tear they take. And so when they have an opportunity to go pro and they don't, I always kind of wonder why that is. Is it because they didn't get the feedback they're looking for? That's probably the case in most cases because, as, as we're seeing with running backs, the sooner you get to that second contract, which is really where you hope to make most of your money if you are successful in those first four to five years, the better and so waiting an additional year to start that clock is not a great decision for most backs if they have a choice i get it but the the carries that he had in college were against the big and tough pac-12 defense <laughs> so you, you got to remember that <laughs> uh i wouldn't want to be tackled by any of those guys they may not be as tough as the sec or big 10 but the hits a hit at some point <laughs> true all right so I mentioned there were a couple other running backs that I prefer taking a shot at at this point in the draft, and I'm actually going to take one of those with my next pick. I'm going to draft Anthony McFarland, running back for the Steelers. So he went slightly later than Zach Moss at the 18th pick in the fourth round coming out of Maryland. He's 5'8", 208 pounds, so not prototypical size, but not far off. Still the ability to be to carry the ball in the NFL with and take some hits and not probably hopefully hopefully be durable. We'll see. He ran a four point four four forty. So compared to that to Zach Moss, that's impressive uh, at the at the combine ninety second percentile. Uh, had a couple of years at Maryland where he was productive. He didn't have a great year last year, only six hundred yards, but just that explosiveness, I think, really 
is something different than what you see in all the other backs in Pittsburgh. Uh, you mentioned earlier Pittsburgh likes to pass the ball. I think that opens up a lot of run lanes, as we saw with James Conner over the past couple of years. Um, James Jalen Samuels is there as well. So McFarland does have a couple of guys in that backfield to overcome to potentially get a share of the workload similar to what uh, we saw from – or we're likely to see from Zach Moss in Buffalo. Uh, he is a pretty good pass catcher. He had 17 catches on – 26 targets last year I don't know hopefully some of those targets were uh, off target Uh, otherwise I don't know how many drops he had but he had 126 receiving yards 7.6 percent target share so he can do that as well and that is something Jalen Samuels has kind of done there I think maybe McFarland offers a little more burst a little more explosiveness and can potentially take a little bit of that work in addition to maybe being uh, kind of a change of pace back for James Conner and uh, maybe a third down back what do you think? I think it's a great pick. Great pick. Um, he's he's up there right behind uh, um, Zach Moss on my list. Um, I don't think – I mean, he's going to beat out Jalen Samuels. He's going to easily beat out Benny Snell. So um, the only guy that's ahead of him is James Conner. James Conner is going to be a free agent next year. He'll be looking for that money. And, and like we said, teams like having their running backs on that rookie contract, and Anthony McFarland could be that guy to close this year, and he could be the guy for the next couple of years for the Steelers in, in a pretty good offense, especially if, like we said before, if Big Ben's the quarterback. Yeah. Um, I do like the pick. I remember the – I remember seeing Maryland highlights all the time. It was more two years ago than last year. Anthony McFarlane was breaking like a 70 yard run, like all the time whenever I see those highlights and he looked, he looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, good pick. Good pick. Can't complain Thanks. about it. You like little bugger, huh? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I, I got him on two of my Debbie teams already. So I, I hope we're right about him. Hopefully his, or, uh, not, not Debbie dynasty, two of my dynasty teams. <laughs> Hopefully his, uh, Professional career goes a little better than Booger's stint as Monday Night Football color commentator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Next pick. Last one of the second round for you. Don't mess it up. Oh, boy. Uh, this is a tough one. I'm going to go with A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon for the Packers. Um. He was good two years ago, just like we were talking um, about Anthony McFarland. He was good two years ago for the Boston, for Boston College. Um, he's not much of a receiving back. He does have Aaron Jones to compete with. And, uh, goodness, I forgot the, the, the receiving running back for the Packers. Jamal Williams. Yes, yes. Um, obviously, I don't think he's going to take Jamal Williams' spot because Jamal Williams is more of a receiving back. If anything, A.J. Dillon's going to cut into Aaron Jones' time at running back in the first and second down. And I think the Packers are hoping that he can eventually be better than Aaron Jones, because Aaron Jones' contract is coming up soon too. Um, I think he was on that list that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. And maybe they're hoping A.J. Dillon could be 
the future at running back. Um, I think it's based on the draft capital they spent. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think there's a good chance that he could be. I'm not a big fan of him as a running back, but the situation that he's in, I definitely think it's worth, worth the risk. He, I mean, his quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, at least for this year. And who knows who knows in the future, it could be Jordan Love. Um, But A.J. Dillon could be the guy. So, and if anything, if Dillon does break out this year, um, Aaron Jones could slide into um, the third down receiving back, and A.J. Dillon could be the first and second round um, running back. So this is an interesting situation. Um, I I like taking risks in the second round, and I feel like this is a a risk because A.J. Dillon could end up being a bust but he could also be a pretty good pick for the Packers. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's a good pick by you, a far better fantasy pick by you than a real-life pick by the Packers. I, I don't know what they're doing when you have an opportunity to get one of these stud receivers that we've talked about and they help Aaron Rodgers out and build for – I mean, they're in the NFC Championship one game away from the Super Bowl last year and they didn't do anything to help him. Yeah. I think Matt LaFleur is in charge clearly now with the Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon picks, and he wants to try to emulate what he did in Tennessee there in Green Bay with being a run-first offense, going the total opposite of the way the rest of the NFL seems to be going uh, as far as passing more. I mean, you look at – I don't know. I just – so I think hopefully he's – he with what he did here with A.J. Dillon – Six foot, two hundred forty-seven pounds. I don't know if he's trying to draft his next Derrick Henry there, so he can uh, use him the way he used Derrick Henry in Tennessee. They certainly have the size in common, and AJ Dillon was surprisingly fast—a four point five three forty at the combine. I didn't see that coming based on what I saw from him in college, but I mean that was impressive. Ninety-seventh uh, percentile speed score as a result, good burst as well. Best comparable is Stephen Jackson. So I thought that was interesting too. So I think there, he has a lot of potential. I think Derek Henry is a 99th percentile outcome for any player with even this same type of size and speed. Uh, I don't think he'll be that, but if he can be 75% of that, that's a pretty good back. And at this point in the draft, I certainly can't criticize you too much for taking him. I don't understand I, you are correct. Aaron Jones is a free agent after this year. I don't see Jamal Williams being any sort of. They have very him and Jamal Williams have totally opposite skill sets. Jamal Williams is more of a slight pass catching back, and yeah. AJ Dillon's more of a grinder, uh, first and second down running back. And so, uh, if he can start getting some carries in that offense, I think they're trying to do basically what the Vikings did with drafting Alexander Madison to have him ready to go when Dalvin Cook rolls off after this year. I think the Packers are now set up to have A.J. Dillon be the lead back in this backfield next year when Aaron Jones becomes a free agent. So if he doesn't get a lot of carries this year, they try to run Aaron Jones as much as they can, take advantage of that before he hits free agency. Certainly the opportunity is likely to be there in 2021. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens in, yeah. in the Packers backfield. I don't think Aaron Jones will have another great year like he did last year. I mean, he had, a, he had a, I can't remember how many touchdowns that he, that he had. But How many do you think? 
Um, was it like 18 rushing? He had 16 rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns. Yeah, that, unsustainable. That's, that that's not going to happen. He'll. It, I mean, I think he'll probably get half of that. Um, AJ Dillon might steal a few goal line carries. So, well, if you have Aaron Jones, you should have been selling him before the draft, and yeah. you probably should still sell him now because. His value is never going to be higher, no matter where he goes in the offseason next year. People look at that fantasy point total from last year. The less savvy players probably in your league look at that and don't Mm -hmm. consider the impact of those 19 touchdowns that will never likely – I will make a Levi Valentine guarantee. Aaron Jones will never have 19 touchdowns in a single season in his career again, and I feel pretty safe about that. That is – that's pretty safe. (laughs) I trade him in one of my leagues. I think if you have him, you should all go do the same. So with that said, the last pick in the second round, I'm going to take Tua Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa? 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 We'll just call him Tua. Tua? <laughs> See, we, we, gotta, we did pretty good last episode on these pronunciations, looking them up beforehand. We got Joe and Gata right. This episode, we didn't <laughs> get those all looked up. So... <laughs> Tua, I think, is going to be a really special NFL quarterback. Same as LaVisca Chanel. Basically, his only concern is injury. Uh, when he was on the field at Alabama, he was exceptional. And I think we kind of took it for granted um, he, what he was able to do there over the past four, three years, uh, starting in 2017 when he took over and uh, was able to guide them to the national championship in that game. And then 2018 when he was a starter and – his statistics are unbelievable. Uh, so in that 2018 year, the last full year he played with the injury last year, he had almost 4,000 passing yards, uh, 43 touchdowns to six interceptions. Last year he had 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. His accuracy is unbelievable. He had a tremendous uh, receiver core at Alabama, but I think it's easy to see the level of talent that Tua has. It wasn't all the receivers. It was a lot of his arm talent and his ability to place the ball where – his guy can get it in the defender camp that resulted in those types of numbers. So he, you know, really transformed that Alabama offense. I think it's easy to forget the Alabama quarterbacks of old and Nick Saban's offense of old, where they were ground and pound. I have a quarterback that's a game manager and doesn't make mistakes. And Tua really brought that offense into the 21st century. And instead of winning games, you know, 17 to nine or you know scores like that they were winning games 40 50 to 21 or 28 or you know they were putting up a lot more points and that offense just exploded from a production perspective and I think a lot of that was a result of Tua I think him being the second quarterback off the board is probably a steal for the Dolphins at the fifth pick and Joe Burrow certainly deserved all of the accolades and being a top quarterback in this draft based on the year he had last year, but Tua is right there with him. And I think they have a longer, a higher long-term ceiling than Joe Burrow. Okay. Well, I can't, I can't knock you for taking Tua with last, this is the last pick of the second round, right? Yeah. So the value at this point. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good value. And um, in my eyes, he is the, the number two quarterback in this, in this draft when we're talking fantasy. Um, he is very accurate. He's accurate. I'll give you that. But if you look at last year, um, last year he was over 71% 
with his accuracy, which is awesome. Completion percentage. Um, yep, yep, with his completion percentage. Um, but if you look at the two games that he played against top 25 opponents, he is 50, 56% against those teams. Um, after that Clemson National Championship game a couple years ago, um, Clemson players said that they saw a weakness in him in reading defenses. You have to read defenses in the NFL. They're going to try to throw you off all the time. I mean, you're going to be facing teams like the Clemson defense all the time in the NFL. And if they see that's an issue, they're going to really take advantage and try to try to hurt you that way. Um, the disguise coverages throughout the game confused him big time. And as you remember, he, he didn't have the best game in that national championship game a couple years ago. Um, now with his health, uh, Pitta, I can't remember, Dennis Pitta from the Ravens um, about seven years ago, he had the same injury as Tua seven years ago. He tried coming back the next year, same thing happened. He tried coming back two years after that, and the same thing happened again. So we've seen in the past um, players, a player couldn't come back from this type of injury. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Um, at, at the last pick in the, in the second round, it's a, good, it's a good pick. It's definitely worth the risk. It's just I don't think I like him as much as you do. I like Burrow a lot more than Tua. Yeah, there's. I think the injury risk is baked into his price here at the last pick of the second round. Uh, you mentioned a couple of the games that he had, and specifically that Clemson National Championship game. In that game, he was 22 of 34, so 65% completion percentage, 295 yards, two touchdowns. He did have two interceptions. That's not a bad game for the criticism it's, from the Clemson defenders. So not. maybe not his all-time best game, but certainly I would be happy with that if I were him. I think the risk with Joe Burrow, as we talked about last episode, is just that he has the one good year and he wasn't that exceptional or really even that good the year prior. Uh, he wouldn't have likely been, you know, anywhere near anywhere near the first overall pick uh, if he had, if that had been his senior year. So I think when you look at the risk with Tua, there I think it's primarily the injury risk for me. I think when he's on the field, I don't have a lot of concerns about his ability to perform in the NFL based on his resume, his college resume. And it certainly wasn't perfect, but he has a much more extensive track record than Joe Burrow. And so for me, that gives me a lot of comfort uh, as far as the risk profile for his transition to the NFL. Uh, when, so to me, it's really to his injury risk versus Joe Burrow's relatively short resume. And I think, you know, I am getting Tua here at the 24th pick versus where you took Joe Burrow overall at the 11th pick. So, oh, a full round later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good pick where you got him at. Um, <laughs> but when you – I don't think – I mean, yeah, I agree that he has more, he has more, more better games than, than Burrow. Burrow played what fifteen games this year? Fifteen great games, right? Um, Tua best, played best season in college history for a quarterback. I think that's pretty safe to say. Mm-hmm. Passing season. Tua Tua played how many years? Two years, two full years, pretty much, right? 
besides the injury late last year. So, I mean, it's only a little bit, a little bit less than a season more, I mean, experience or good play that Tua had than Burrow when you're looking at that. So, I mean, you can't say you can't, you can't say that Tua has a great few years, several whole career better than Burrow. Burrow is older and in my opinion, wiser Uh, (laughs) getting, getting taught by Urban Meyer. And then he went to another, another college at LSU with Ordron and their offensive coordinator that escapes my name. So he's Joe Brady or Steven Spinner. Yep. So, I mean, it'll be fun to see this play out, but I'm a big fan of Burrow. Not as high as you are on Tua. Tua. Um, I think actually Herbert is closer to Tua than Tua is close to Burrow. So my thoughts. Yeah. It'll be fun to see it play out. It will be. (laughs) Speaking of fun, we have our next segment now, uh, the Fantasy Lifeline. And this – we have our first call, Brent, on the Fantasy Lifeline, and it is from a very special guest. So I'm going to play this for you, and we're going to get your reaction live on the air. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Hey, guys. First time, long time here. I'm in the middle of my dynasty draft. First year for it. We're just setting the league up, and I'm in trouble. I thought I was doing good until I look back to my roster here. It's It's in ruins. Got Patrick Mahomes at the first pick. After that, I got no quarterbacks behind him. Two rookies and a second-year guy, Dwayne Haskins, who hasn't done anything, probably never will. I got one running back that's projected to be a starter this year, Jonathan Taylor. After that, it's a couple 50-50 split guys, then nothing. My receivers is where I put a lot of draft capital. Got Mike Evans, second guy, Terry McLaurin. Who knows? Tight end, I got Austin Hooper, feeling good. Then I remember Cleveland doesn't throw to their tight end. They're a wreck anyway. They still have Njoku. I don't know what's going on in Cleveland. Nothing after that for tight ends. What do I do? Do I just punt the season already? Trade, get some first-round picks for next year. Try to be competitive in five years. Just give up, pay my dues, and get out of this league as soon as I can. I'll hang up and listen to your answer. This is Brent. Bye. Oh, that's good. That's good. Here I am trying to write down all all their names. Wait, this sounds familiar. Oh, Oh, man. I was like three or four names. I think we almost got to the receivers, and then you realized <laughs> he's talking about my team I just drafted. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, so what would you tell Brent to do here? <laughs> I think he's sitting pretty good. He's sitting pretty good, especially after this Delvin Cook news, because he does have Alexander Madison on his team that can help him at a running back. Oh. Um, and my backup quarterback is not Dwayne Haskins. It is Joe Burrow. <laughs> I think he must have I forgot think he about that. He said a couple rookies. He said a couple rookies. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But oh, that, that was good. That was good. Here I am trying to write <laughs> everything down, trying to keep up with them, and then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> That's pretty good. So you're you took Devin Singletary at the five oh three in the startup draft. Uh, I looked it up after good pick. Circle good back. Pick. <laughs> a little early for my taste, but for a guy in a timeshare, but you know, I know you li- love you some Devin Singletary. Well, uh, you gotta realize that the next time it would come back around to me would be six point nine. So or yeah. six point ten, whatever that would be. So I, and it seemed like you and Colin were taking all my all my guys to begin with, so I had to take my 
take Devin Singletary. And I know that <laughs> I know Colin likes Devin Singletary too. So I had to take my chances with him there. Anything else you want to say in defense of your of your draft before we move on? No, that that, that was funny. How do you think um, you're going to do this year? What's your prediction for your record? I think I'm going to win it all. I mean, I don't, <laughs> 13 and 0. Patrick Mahomes is going to lead me to the to the championship. I, I don't. I might not go undefeated, but I'm definitely going undefeated in the playoffs. So <laughs> we need a prediction here. I'm going to circle back at the end of the year. Let's okay. 13 regular season games. Well, I understand you're going to win the playoffs. Apparently, you're going to win the championship. Okay. What's your prediction for your regular season record? Uh, I'll probably go 11 and two, and like I said, 11 and two. That said, thanks for listening, everybody. It would, as always, mean the world to us if you would subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll have a new episode for you next week and every week after that. Until then, thanks for being part of the Fantasy Players Club. On behalf of Brent Hud Hud Hikus, this is Levi Valentine signing off. Thanks, everybody. See ya.